Focusing all your attention on one singular wide receiver in the double-digit rounds. And having that one receiver be the best of the sleeper receivers of 2017. I mean, there's something special about this happening. This Devin Funches happening. Because, oh, he is happening. Oh, happening. So happening. And I'm so happy with the happening. Ha-ha! Happy happening! Ha-ha! If you are a zombie film grinder who believed Devin Funches lacked strength at the catch point, just a sloppy route runner, yeah, too sloppy, that he lacked explosiveness, that his proper position in the NFL was tight end, then you need to suck it! Ha ha! My Devin Funches feelings summarized. Ha ha! Told you so! Let's get right into it. Let's talk to our friend Patrick Doherty from Roto World about Devin Funches. But before we do, make sure you're downloading Draft. Go to PlayDraft.com, download the app, and you can create new teams every week, also known as Daily Fantasy Sports, DFS, using the Draft app and constructing your team via Snake Draft so all your players are independent of your opponent's players. That's the beauty of Draft. So sign up, invite... 11 of your friends to join a league. And oh, by the way, use the promo code UNDERWORLD to get free entry into your first contest. And draft a new team every week, the way fantasy teams should be drafted, via snake draft. Or auction. Auction's fine. But the salary cap method is cheesy and lame. And you can put my name on it, put it in an envelope, stamp it, put it in the mail, and send it to DraftKings and FanDuel. So now, let's go talk to Pat Doherty from Roto World. Follow him at Roto Pat on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Program. Patrick Doherty. Yes, Patrick Doherty from Roto World is back. Roto Pat, talk to me. Uh, I didn't pre-plan a joke. That's a really bad idea. Uh, so I have nothing to say uh, whatsoever. Is pre-planning a joke a bad idea or forgetting to pre-plan one a bad idea? Forgetting is much worse. I mean, if you, you know, 
I can I can riff. I can make some pithy comments. But if you don't start the pod with one, that's like the one you got to plan one. And I didn't do it, so I think I ruined the whole pod. To be frank, <laughs> I don't know. Easy transition from that wet fish in my lap, Devin Funches. Devin Funches. How about Devin Funches? Let's get right into it. Let's go to Devin Funches. Let's get excited. Let's ramp things up. You don't need any canned jokes. You don't need any faux enthusiasm. Devin Funches has it taken care of. This guy's a double-digit round pick in all formats, and now he's a top 20 wide receiver. This is cool, right? It's very cool. And uh, I'm glad with Calvin gone that he no longer has to like run those deep vertical routes because those aren't really his... Uh cup of tea and uh he would just get enveloped and not catch the ball but yeah now he's mr red zone he's mr return on fantasy investment and uh he's mr made your career oh he's one of my guys he's one of my 2017 hits yes one of the things i will say and we said it this summer is that he was the go-to red zone receiver in 2016 as well, 23.7% red zone target share was higher than Kelvin Benjamin even last season, who's top 20 in the NFL among wide receivers, 14 red zone targets. So this isn't new, but it's nice for him to have the passing game to himself. Sadly, Curtis Samuel looks like he's going to miss multiple weeks with a leg injury, and this means even more target share headed Devin Funches's way until Greg Olson arrives. But once Greg Olson arrives, it's going to be a similar target share breakdown that we saw when Kelvin Benjamin was healthy in 2014. It's just going to be two guys in the passing game. This is what we want. You want the offenses that just have the two receivers in the passing game. And in this case, they also have the satellite back. That's three. That's still fine. You don't want to have four, five, six receivers that you have to worry about and account for just three receivers. It's exciting. I mean, is he back this time? Because we thought he was back against the Patriots. Then he wasn't back. He took a step back. Then you're like, is he back? No, it's a step back. Is, I think he's back now, right? Is, is he back back? I think he's back back. I mean, I, I think uh, not exactly like Mr. Film, but no? it seems like to me he's still... You're not? I mean, I, it's not like I'm not Mr. Film, but I'm not like a big tape guru. Are you rewinding? Yeah, I rewind a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. My feeling is if you're a rewinder, you're a tape grinder. You're a film guy. So you're starting off the show with a lie. You are absolutely a film guy. If you're a rewinder, you're a film guy. I'm a top like one percentile rewinder, so maybe I am a film guy. Pat Doherty with us on the Roto Underworld Radio program. Big film guy, Pat Doherty. But I was going to say, not like I'm uh, here grinding film all day, but it seems like to me a shoulder might still not be 100%. He used to he used to like look so effortless in the deep ball, and the deep ball just hasn't been – maybe it's because he hasn't really had a legit deep ball receiver this year, like I was saying. But so I think the only thing that Cam – maybe he's not like 100% back. Maybe it's because he's not going to be dropping those bombs. But, I mean, Cam, like – the running's back. The swagger on the running is back. Like he, you know, when he like gets a big run, you know, he like he like energizes himself. It seems like he's like becomes like Superman, and that's definitely back. And you know, the addition by subtraction with Kelvin Benjamin is back. And Cam, he he's back, back. He'd be back, back, back if he had the deep ball. But we're gonna have to settle for back, back. I think he's back because the rushing yards have returned. That shows that he's confident in the strength and durability of that shoulder he started the season three rushing yards 27 rushing yards 
16 rushing yards, so less than 50 rushing yards in the first three games. Then all of a sudden, 44 rushing yards. Then last night, 95 rushing yards. Woohoo! He's back! Top five quarterback in the NFL for fantasy football, Cam Newton! He's back, back. Now, Tevin Coleman looks like a top option this week with Devontae Freeman missing week 11 with a concussion. You agree? You have him projected in the top 10? I do. I have him currently in the top 10. I'm at very, very early rankings. I'm hedging a bit and have him at RB10. There it is. Got him in the top 10. And I believe you, you were wanting to know what I thought his ceiling was. Yes. What is Tevin Coleman's ceiling this week and for the rest of the season? For this week, I mean, I think his absolute ceiling has to be, I mean, considered RB1 overall, does it yeah, not? Yeah, 40 fantasy points. Yeah, I mean, he anytime, his over-under for touches is 20. And anytime a home run hitter like him gets 20 touches, the upside is RB1 overall, you know? Thank you. Th- yes, thank you very much for saying that. We, uh, You know, the Seahawks have hashtag stiffened against the run, but still not like erasing it quite the way they have in some years past. You know, Earl Thomas still battling that hamstring injury, but even if it was the Seahawks run defense we've seen in the past, and even if uh, or, uh, Earl Thomas was 100% healthy, yeah, if you give uh, a guy who can score an 80-yard touchdown 20 touches, his upside is RB1 overall. So I'm very excited. Yeah, the over-under on that game is 45, and there are plenty of games this Sunday under 45. So Vegas certainly thinks there will be plenty of points scored in that game. And because of it, you have to imagine Tevin Coleman as a featured option. I mean, we haven't seen the featured running back getting the majority of the opportunity share since at some point last season when Tevin Coleman missed a game and Devontae Freeman was a top five back that week. I mean, pretty much in the weeks that Tevin Coleman has missed in the last couple of years, Freeman has been a threat to be the RB1 that week every time out. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. I don't care what defense they're facing. I was going to say, what I'm hoping we're getting, I want a Tevin Coleman 2019 Dynasty preview. Yes. And a preview of what Tevin Coleman is like in life. There is life after a committee, Tevin. One day you will be free. You will have a backfield all to yourself. One day. Yes, he will be free. Although he probably won't be. We all know how the NFL operates. Uh, when he's in free agency, the G- mo- every GM... There'll be like 28 out of 32 GMs like, well, he's always been a committee back. He's a committee back. There's a reason he was a committee back. We can't sign him as a feature back. And like the four GMs that will be willing to sign him as a feature back, like won't believe in like paying a feature back. So he'll probably stay screwed. But I'm going to sit here and dream about Tevin Coleman having a backfield to himself in 2019. I've been dreaming this dream for years. The first clip from this podcast to ever go viral on YouTube was about Tevin Coleman. (laughs) That's fitting. Where I compared Tevin Coleman to a wildebeest running in the Serengeti, gliding over the heads of crocodiles on his way across the Serengeti, right? Just gliding with this effortless speed in the open spaces. That was how I described Tevin Coleman's running style, and it's come to fruition. He's been one of the best running backs from that class because he's one of the most explosive running backs in the league. Yes, I understand he lacks wiggle. No one thinks of Tevin Coleman as a wiggle guy. He doesn't have wiggle. There are plays in which the Atlanta Falcons allow penetration, and Tevin Coleman gets dropped for a one-yard gain or zero yards gained, and another running back with some wiggle may have gained two yards. 
You follow me? I'm following you. So he misses out on a yard here or yard there when the defense contains a running play. It's not what we're here for, man. We're here for sprints to the end zone. But, but. We're here for Tevin Coleman. But who cares? Who cares when he has the explosiveness to take any run where there's a crease to the end zone? That's what we're looking for. You don't forfeit the big play, the touchdown that turns the game for an extra yard on second and eight. No. And but unfortunately that's how probably, you know, like over half the NFL coaches think. But and fantasy gamers think the same thing about Tevin Coleman and Dynasty Leaguers, the tape grinders have been laying this criticism at Tevin Coleman's feet for years, and they have it wrong. They're focusing on the wrong sorts of details with Tevin Coleman. And my hope is that even in a challenging matchup against the Seattle Seahawks this week, that he goes out and has a top five day despite the matchup. And then, and then Falcons coaches are put in a conundrum. What to do when Devontae Freeman returns? Dynasty owners find themselves in a pleasant conundrum in that what do I do with this guy now? His value has risen. Do I trade him? Do I hold on to him? Do I hope he signs somewhere else to get out from under this Devontae Freeman contract extension? It's very interesting. A lot of interesting dynamics swirling around Tevin Coleman. So this is the game to watch, the Monday night game, Falcons at Seahawks. Another interesting game this week, Washington at New Orleans. And I'm looking at the backfield, the running backs. Can Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram be top 10 fantasy backs this season? Because that's how they're trending. I absolutely think so. Definitely, if nothing else, the rest of season, they're probably both close to already in the top 10. They're in it right now. They are in it right now. Can they stay in it? They can. You know, Ingram is the RB2 (laughs) since since Adrian Peterson was traded. (laughs) Uh, he'd be the RB1 if you throw out suspended Ezekiel Elliott. Wow. Uh, Alvin Kamara is the RB5 since uh, since Adrian Peterson was traded. And, uh, yeah, I mean, just what would be the reason for this not to continue going forward? Game script would be the reason if suddenly the New Orleans defense started allowing a lot of points to be scored, particularly at home, as they used to, but they're not doing that anymore. Is that what's killing Drew Brees? Is the New Orleans defense responsible for the death of Drew Brees in fantasy football? Uh, yeah, I mean, the Saints having uh, Sean Payton like accidentally building a complete team is definitely... Uh, what's behind that definitely definitely why drew Brees is having pre-2017 alex smith's career year i mean yes. drew Brees, drew Brees this year is like alex smith before acid basically you know which is sad because it's not what we expect from drew Brees in fantasy but yeah the saints blundering into a complete team i mean they were actively trying to agitate Drew Brees by trading away his number one receiver, Brandon Cooks. I mean, they were actively trying to sabotage the end of Drew Brees' career. And in the process, they drafted Marshawn Lattimore, a defensive player, which in essence is propelling them into the playoffs. It's amazing. Blind squirrel? Blind squirrel principal for Pelican's head of basketball operations, Mickey Loomis. Yes. Uh, that's one of my go-to jokes. Uh, I think Sean Payton's probably mostly the GM. But I don't know why or how Sean Payton became regarded as a genius coach. And I also don't know why or how that reputation has now eluded him. I feel like he's more of a punchline than ever before, even as their team is surging and they look like one of the favorites in the NFC. 
Sean Payton coming into this year had basically become Jeff Fisher with points. <laughs> so still better than being Jeff Fisher. But yeah, he was looking like Jeff Fisher with points. So happy for you, Sean. I just feel bad for all these teams in the NFC have to compete with one another. Meanwhile, the Patriots have a free run right into the Super Bowl. They have to get by who? The Jaguars? Please. Yeah, I just I honestly didn't even know who I would say. The Chiefs, the Jaguars, I mean, who? Uh, the Steelers, I mean, all flawed teams. And meanwhile, in the NFC, it is going to be very, very exciting. I'm already excited to see the NFC playoffs. Now, we need to play a game. Bust or no bust? Let me write that time down. I need to modulate my voice so it sounds cool. <laughs> bust or no bust, DeMarco Murray. <clears throat> I'm going to go down with the ship on DeMarco Murray bust. Uh, I'm Captain Edward John Smith of the Titanic. Uh, I'm like, but only this time, I'm not even trying to avoid the iceberg. I'm steering the ship into the iceberg on DeMarco Murray bust. This is come hell or high water. Uh, DeMarco Murray is going to be a bust. I've been saying it basically every week, but yeah, he's got like paneling falling off of him like every week. He's like becoming like a decrepit, like he's like a building in disrepair, like a new injury every week. Uh, he's averaging three point. He hasn't averaged over 3.3 yards per carry in like five games. Uh, no. My biggest problem with DeMarco Murray is he's exceeded 15 carries once this season against Cleveland, and I'm not falling for the false flag three touchdown game. No, no. he's a Got bust. It. What about LaShawn McCoy? You mean, is he going to be more of a bust? Is that too soon? Is he a bust? Because lately, LaShawn McCoy has not been a fantasy asset. He's been costing his owners matchups. He saved a little face in a few big games. I'm saying total bust. Uh, <clears throat> Bills have completely lost control of the game flow, basically. They kind of already were before they traded Marcel Darius. And now it seems like they're basically at the mercy of the other team, like how long the other team wants to have the ball. That's interesting. If you're looking at the splits and you're looking at the timeline, you notice, wow, look at Sean McCoy's production collapse. And it coincides with the loss of Marcel Darius, which coincides with the game script flip onto the negative side of the ledger. No surprise, LaShawn McCoy, 2.5 fantasy points, then nine points last week. He's a total bust. They're not going to be controlling the game flow against the Chargers, against the Chiefs. They have to play the Patriots twice. Uh, so LaShawn McCoy looks like he needs to make his money in weeks 14 and 15. They're playing the Colts and the Dolphins. And he gets the Dolphins again, I think, in week 17. We're getting way out ahead of it by saying LaShawn McCoy is a bust while he's averaging 16 fantasy points a game. But that's why you tune in to Roto Underworld Radio. That's why we have Patrick Doherty from Roto World on to read to you tomorrow's newspaper. Now, is Jordan Howard a bust? I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say he's going to try to become first. He's going to try to become the first player down the stretch to catch negative passes in a game. He's going to try to break the game of football by having negative one receptions. That's not that quality of a joke, but um, I might say he's going to be more of a push than a bust. But if you had to choose bust or no bust, I'd say bust. It's a tough schedule. Uh, they're trying to, you know, they're you know now they seem more concerned with making Mitch Trubisky a thing. They let him throw the ball like a hundred times last week after he'd averaged like ten or twelve attempts. Uh, yeah, this I mean 
if you were looking for things to maybe work in his favor, maybe he's overdue for some positive touchdown regression. He hasn't scored a touchdown since September, Jordan Howard. But Do you know the problem with Jordan Howard? The problem with Jordan Howard is they had a top five run blocking unit last year. This year, their run blocking efficiency on playerprofiler.com, 69.9. Nice. But <laughs> also outside the top 10. The big problem with Jordan Howard is the running lanes have constricted. The yards per carry has been reduced to 4.0. And when the yards per carry gets reduced, no more breakaway runs. Guess what? You need to catch passes. The problem is he leads the league in drop rate, 19% drop rate. 19%. I thought that was an error. He really does have some of the worst hands. I went and checked our stats script and it was correct. He's the worst receiver I've ever seen at the running back position or any position. Tight end, running back, fullback, H-back, doesn't matter. It doesn't get worse than Jordan Howard, and now he's playing on a team that doesn't score points, not great at run blocking, and is constantly playing from behind, and negative 4.97 game script is in the bottom five of the league. So for all the same reasons, you're fading LaShawn McCoy down the stretch, you're fading Jordan Howard. Is Will Fuller a bust? Yeah, he's going to be a bust. This one's a sad one because, you know, he's kind right. of a G. He's, he's like kind of like Ted Ginn and Deshaun Jackson had a baby. Yes. I, he's, I'm all about that kind of a game. You might call it uh, boomer bust or hard to watch, but I call it you know, long touchdown scoring. That's right. He's got some John Brown, some Deshaun Jackson to his game. The problem is that Tom Savage is like the concept of human sorrow starting at quarterback. It's just so bad. There's just nothing. He's like all of humanity's sins over the past millennia starting at quarterback. I mean, we are, he's one way in which we're paying for what we've done to the earth, what we've done to each other. And that's going to cost Will Fuller, Matt. Well, it's costing everyone. It's costing the Texans. (laughs) They're going to give a top five draft pick to the Cleveland Browns. They made a mistake. They had what they thought was a contender, and then they went out and they neglected their backup quarterback position. Meanwhile, the Buccaneers signed Ryan Fitzpatrick. So does that make Mike Evans a bust, or is Ryan Fitzpatrick the reason why Mike Evans is salvageable? I think Evans is salvageable because he's been like a wide receiver one without even having like a 100-yard game. Like he hasn't even really had like a ceiling week yet. And I think Jameis Winston will probably come back sooner than the Bucks are making it sound like, too. Hasn't Roto World been way out ahead on the criticism of the Indianapolis Colts for their gamesmanship with the Andrew Luck injury reports? We have, but Jameis Winston's injury, I think, is clearly more minor, and he's a psycho. You know, he's going to be pushing to play. Andrew Luck's, like, too smart. He's just like, oh, I'm going to let this heal, but then he didn't even let it heal, so maybe he actually is dumb. Uh, yeah, I'm going to let this heal. Uh, I want to get out there and throw the Jack Doyle, but uh, I'm going to let this shoulder heal for now. But Jameis is just like a football psycho. He'll be pushing to get back. And like I said, yeah, Evans is having a good year without even having any spiked weeks. Uh, and the, the schedules, I, I'm not usually like a big schedule scheduler, but I want to be prepared. Yes. Oh, you, you have some Mike Evans schedule information for us. That's just a night, you know, got the Dolphins. You know, right, that right there mm. can make him not a bust for the whole rest of the season mm. in one game. Mm-hmm. The Falcons, the Packers. Packers. Oh, wow. So Packers and Dolphins, that's... Pretty tasty. Even if uh, James doesn't come back, you know, both his quarterback options are like are on shrooms. Basically, they will be targeting him down the field. So I'm going to say no bust for Mike Evans. 
Jarvis Landry a bust, or is this just Jarvis Landry being Jarvis Landry? I see a touchdown regression happening, and they're spreading the targets around between Stills and Devontae Parker. Without the touchdowns, I think Jarvis Landry's a bust. What do you think? Everything you said makes perfect sense, but I'm going to go no bust. This is going to be one of those like fantasy situations, like one of those situ- real-life situations that designed like solely to taunt smart fantasy players That's who like right. realize – all the bad things about Jarvis Landry, but yeah, I like to thank Jarvis Landry for existing. I mean, he keeps my ego in check. <laughs> We're not for Jarvis Landry. I would think I was much better at this <laughs> than I do given the existence of Jarvis Landry. So yeah, as Jay Cutler retreats further into like a Fox television booth, you know, dreaming of next year, I think he's going to lose the patience retargeting Devontae Parker and Kenny Stills down the field, and he's going to do a whole lot of settling for Jarv Landry and Julius Thomas. So I'm saying no bust for the middle finger to fantasy Jarvis Landry. Jordy Nelson? He's a bust. It's a shame. Isn't it? Yeah, it's a huge shame. I mean, I was going to steal a line from Evan Silva, but, you know, part of Jordy's you know, makes him so great was kind of his mind meld with Aaron Rodgers. Mm. And Brett Hundley seems much more comfortable targeting Devonte Adams and like the short to mid areas of the field. Uh, the Packers seem to think they can only manufacture touches for Randall Cobb. Like Mike McCarthy, like can't manufacture touches for more than one player at any given moment. So Brett Hundley's not going to target Jordy down the field. Mike McCarthy's not going to manufacture touches for Jordy Nelson, even though he's his best player. And so, yeah, I'm afraid Jordy is doomed to bust status. How about Martellus Bennett getting out of there? That's fascinating how that played out. I don't know. Uh, It's one of those weird situations where I don't really have strong feelings on it because it's so weird. And I want I'm like inclined to believe Martellus Bennett. But the Packers are like they do have a reputation for me, like notoriously cautious with injuries. So it's a little hard to believe Martellus's story on his way out the door. But, I don't know, strange situation. I feel like there's definitely some information the public does not have there. Well, fortunately, the Patriots claimed him, so they take on his full salary. So the Patriots did the Packers a real solid, as well as Martellus Bennett. I feel like they're going to still try to brawl over his signing bonus, actually, which is what I had heard. I'm not quite sure how that works. I mean, the Patriots definitely have claimed his 2017 salary, and I guess in theory his 18 and 19 salaries. Oh, they're going to try to claw back part of the signing bonus? I think that's what I've seen, but uh, maybe don't hold me to that. That would make sense. It would make sense. It's just a spiteful thing to do to a player who's out there sacrificing his body every single play. Yes. And he's trying to play hurt. He's trying to play through a shoulder injury. He's at the end of his career. He's trying to make a living in the one area of society where he is an expert and he has job opportunities. Arguably the most difficult position to play in all of sports. And he played for a team... The one franchise that's run by a city, it's not even run by a person. So this is essentially you're representing a collective of people in a community and you're going to outright disenfranchise a player over this perceived injury reporting. The season was lost because you didn't sign Colin Kaepernick. You had to go with the coward move in Brett Hundley and then double down on the cowardice by attempting to get a refund back from the gladiator, taking the gladiator to court to get a refund. 
It's unseemly. Such a disgraceful action by a franchise. And the other thing is that team generates so much money for that community. The idea that you would try to claw back, be so spiteful as to try to claw back in a lost season, a few million dollars from a player who's sacrificing his body, his future mobility in life to your franchise. Every member of that Green Bay community should be embarrassed. (laughs) All of them are stockholders in the Packers, right? They they wave around this idea that they're owners. This is a collective effort. Well, it's a collective effort when it goes well, when you're winning championships. And it's also a collective effort when management is disenfranchising a gladiator that deserves our respect. I'm I'm not on enough podcasts where the people of Green Bay are taken to task. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The entire community of Green Bay... Being. I hope it has a chilling effect on all free agents. I hope that free agents consider signing with Green Bay and then realize, oh, wait, this signing bonus isn't real. Uh, oh, Green Bay actually reneges on their signing bonuses. I'm going to sign with Team X over Green Bay because this team is not trustworthy. You know the, the, the website, The Glass Door? I do not, actually. You've heard this. There's a website, The Glass Door, where employees can rate their employer, and they give feedback about what the experience is like working at Company X. I need to get on there right now. So then what I would hope is that there would be like a glass door for the NFL, and the players would get to see the reviews of the franchises, and then go, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, no. We're not signing with this team. They treat their employees like shit. They have nothing but contempt for their employees. We're not signing with them. They only sign one free agent every five years. So don't uh, patent your glass door. Now it's going to get even harder. Oh, you're you're trying to be super selective about their free agents. Yeah, oh, Green Bay, we're super selective. Oh, we like to cultivate talent in-house. Be very selective with our free agents. Yeah, you have to be a certain kind of player to come and play here. And then when we find the player that's just the perfect fit for this franchise... Oh, oh, I'm sorry, Green Bay. Oh, you want me to come and play for you? Oh, oh, you're offering me the signing bonus. Oh, that's great, except oh, you're probably not going to pay it because you're a bunch of assholes who don't respect the gladiators sacrificing their body for the good of the uniform. So thanks, but no thanks. I'll go sign with the Minnesota Vikings. Eat it. <laughs> By the way, when is our tweet up in Green Bay? <laughs> I love the people of Green Bay. They need to hold management accountable. People, stand up. I also love the people in Seattle, and I love Russell Wilson. Can you imagine a scenario where Russell Wilson is the best fantasy quarterback of all time? It's not an insane question, but I can't. Uh, He's already about to turn 29. His franchise doesn't believe in offensive linemen as a concept. Mm. It doesn't believe in wide receivers taller than six feet as a concept. And he's been basically indestructible so far. I mean, we had the one like real alarming kind of like red flag season last year where he had three different injuries, but, you know, played through them anyway. And even with the offensive line, it's better this year, but not like a whole whole lot better. Uh, even with it not being that much improved, he's managed to stay healthy this year. But I think if they don't change like a few of their organizational philosophies, uh, I, just, I don't see how Russell – could stay on the field long enough to become the greatest quarterback in fantasy history. Now I'm going to get mad at Seattle. Seattle, you are derelict in your duty to surround Russell Wilson with the protection that he needs. This is shameful embarrassment. 
You are squandering the career of Russell Wilson, and you should be ashamed of yourselves. I like it. <laughs> it is, it's a very strange, you know, I just don't understand. I just, one thing I really hate about this kind of, is people will like blame Russell Wilson for it. They'll be like, well, if he, Russell didn't have to make so much money, maybe they could sign some offensive linemen. Oh, those people are just jealous that the athletes make more than they do to play a game. And those people can go to hell. Can you imagine a scenario in which Alshon Jeffrey is a top five fantasy receiver the rest of the way this season? I don't think so. Uh, it's a conducive schedule, but mm-hmm. I think Carson Wentz is like a little too comfortable like spreading the ball around. And I think they, you know, they're kind of telegraphed. But he likes to push the ball downfield where Alshon Jeffrey can make plays. Yeah, you know, it's a bad weather division. They've kind of telegraphed. They might want to go real run heavy down the stretch. Mm. And there's also Alshon Jeffrey. Is just kind of he, he is like the rich man's Amari Cooper where he like invents ways not to score. Like he has a higher floor than Amari Cooper. He's more consistent than Amari Cooper. But I feel like he's got a little of that Amari Cooper where he's like, what am I going to do to not score a touchdown today? So how can I conspire against fantasy gamers this week? Exactly. So, I mean, it wouldn't be the most insane thing in the world, but I'm, I'm not seeing it. Better garbage time option rest of the way. Jay Cutler or Eli Manning? It's a good question, right? It's a good question. It is. Actually, it's great. Yeah. It's a good question, right? But it's Eli Manning. It's like that. Uh, yeah, it is. I don't, you know, I'm not like a big movie quote guy either. I'm saying a lot of things I'm not big on that I'm going to go and yeah, you're not big on anything, yet you love doing all these things. <laughs> yeah, but like it's like that Bane quote, you know, like Eli Manning was born in the darkness. Mm. Like Jay Cutler merely wasn't adopted or adapted to the darkness or whatever. I mean, Eli Manning, Eli Manning, you know, he was born in garbage time. Jay Cutler is only hoping to like appropriate it, basically. And Eli Manning, well, and just for you know, Eli Manning's playing better. If I'm going to be serious, he's playing a better. Oh, the Dolphins might occasionally accidentally play defense. I don't really see that being a concern with the Giants. So yeah. I'm taking Eli Manning as my garbage time hero. The case for Jay Cutler is the better weapons. Kenny Stills, Devontae Parker, and even Jarvis Landry. Yes, Jarvis Landry, I will give you credit. You're better than Tavares King. And you're better than Roger Lewis. So that's the case for Jay Cutler, better outside receivers than Eli Manning, far superior outside receivers to Eli Manning. Is Robert Woods for real? Can you tell me uh, if he's for real? I'm a little unclear. Seems to be. Seems to be. I mean, the stats are, he's definitely their number one receiver. What's uh, interesting is that at a young age, he was just as dominant at USC as Sammy Watkins was at Clemson. He was even more dominant at USC than Sammy Watkins was at Clemson at the same age. So in their age 19 seasons, Robert Woods dwarfs what Sammy Watkins did at Clemson. Sammy Watkins is just a little more explosive, but that's about it. He's been derailed by injury. Robert Woods has not. Robert Woods was just as productive in Buffalo as well. So what's the big deal? That's really the question. What's the big deal? Robert Woods is just better. It's not a big deal. Just because the NFL scouts got it wrong with Sammy Watkins doesn't mean it's a big deal. NFL scouts, more often than not, get these draft picks wrong. So it's not a big deal. It shouldn't be a surprise that Robert Woods is the new number one receiver for a prolific offense. And if you're the number one receiver for a prolific offense, you're good. You're for real. You should be in starting lineups in fantasy football, period. I got to say, you're right. I mean, the scouts... 
got Sammy Watkins wrong. The Rams did. I mean, they traded a second round pick for him just like three or four months ago. Yeah, they get it wrong all the time. It's fine. The Packers are still getting Jeff Janis wrong. It's fine. It happens all the time. So you shouldn't be surprised if and when Jeff Janis breaks out with the Patriots next year. See, I, I completely agree. I really do. I'm not even kidding about Jeff Janis. But with the Rams, I was to say, they at least didn't compound the mistake by like you know trying to force Sammy Watkins into that role. Well, they can't because Jared Goff is a computer. Jared Goff refuses to throw the ball into a tight window. He will never throw the ball into a tight window. He was trained at birth because Jared Goff was born to be a quarterback. His parents put him in a quarterback academy at age one and a half. And he's been trained to only throw to the open receiver for the last 20 years. So he's not going to start throwing to Sammy Watkins in double coverage starting this year. No, that's not going to happen. That was never going to happen. Sammy Watkins going to the Rams was always a bad fit with Jared Goff. Jared Goff likes the Robert Woods and Cooper Cup prototypes. That's why they hog the targets in L.A. Jared Goff, I don't know if you could come up with a worse fit on paper for Sammy Watkins, the skill set. Because like you said, he's afraid and then he's so inaccurate. So right. like if he's so like he's inaccurate even with a clean pocket when he's throwing downfield. Sammy Watkins needs a Jameis Winston or even a Carson Wentz, an Eli Manning, a Jake Cutler. He needs a DGAF quarterback. You can't have a Jared Goff throwing to a Sammy Watkins. I mean, that is the ultimate heights of incompatibility. What you have in Sammy Watkins is one of the league's best decoys. So He's absorbing the number one cornerback on a weekly basis, which is helping to propel Robert Wood's efficiency week in, week out. Let's start another game. Contrived dichotomy. Did you see how I did the, like, my voice changed? I did. That's talent. That's, uh, you're a host, you're an analyst, you're a play-by-play, you're the whole package. Thanks, Pat. I'm going to go ahead and modulate my voice so it sounds even cooler. Christian McCaffrey or Kareem Hunt? I'm going to go Kareem Hunt still. Uh, I mean, Christian McCaffrey, I just haven't seen him put... I still like Christian McCaffrey. Oh, everyone has to say they like Christian McCaffrey. Everyone must like Christian McCaffrey. You're not allowed to not like Christian McCaffrey. The dislike of Christian McCaffrey will not be tolerated across NFL media circles. Absolutely not. You have to like Christian McCaffrey. Go ahead. I like him. I do. I think he's still got a bright NFL future, Matt. Um, of course he does. But I just haven't seen him put enough non-Kiko Alonso linebackers on skates. And if he's not putting linebackers on skates, you know, what's he going to really do in the NFL? And my main concern with Christian McCaffrey still is that he looks – he looks to me, when I see him, he looks like what I think I would look like in an NFL uniform. Like, he just looks what? tiny. He looks like me. He lo- He's tiny. He doesn't look big enough. I've seen you. You're not 200 pounds. You know what? 200-pound man is a very sturdy individual, right? 200-pound man? I'm like 5'10", 190, man. I'm built. I'm solidly built. And I would look similar to Christian McCaffrey in an NFL uniform, in my opinion. Okay, you sound ridiculous. We're going to the next contrived dichotomy. Hey, I'm just saying he looks too small is what I'm saying, Matt. No one in the history of the show has said something more absurd. (laughs) Hey, that's something. Jarek McKinnon or Latavius Murray? 
Jarek McKinnon. Right, so last week was not a trend. It wasn't the start of a trend. Like, we're still believing that Jarek McKinnon's the guy, right? I mean, the Vikings have made it clear they're they're not going to let this go. Like, they're, they're really <clears throat> committed to this Latavius Murray thing. But I'm going to stick with Jarek McKinnon because he has the ability to move his shoulders and his hips, whereas Latavius Murray is one of the stiffest runners in the league. Yes, stiff, upright runner. Yes, film guru Patrick Doherty laying down the criticism at the feet of Latavius Murray correctly. Marshawn Lynch or Adrian Peterson? I'm going to go Adrian Peterson because Marshawn Lynch, I think, was hurt by like, uh, he's been hurt by the fact that he gained the knowledge that there is life outside of football. Mm. And whereas Adrian Peterson still thinks like, he's like got like sleep with a football every night or he's not a real football player. So he's like still like playing like super angry and like that'll wow. result in a really good game like every two or three games. Jumping in the head of the professional athlete Patrick Doherty on the Roto Underworld Radio program. Marshawn's got too much he's got too much perspective too much perspective now and he also has too many uh touches going to his backups if you want a kind of a real reason. Employing the telepathy. Can you do it again with Adam Thielen or Stefan Diggs? Adam Thielen, because he can play through groin injuries. Why not Adam Thielen? That's my question. He's outscoring Stephon Diggs on a per-game basis this year in fantasy football. Why not Adam Thielen? Why not Adam Thielen? Why not Adam Thielen? Don't we like underdog stories in this country? Don't we celebrate the American dream? Well, isn't Adam Thielen the personification of the American dream? Who doesn't like this guy? Fuck Christian McCaffrey. You should be adoring Adam Thielen. If you need to transfix your gaze, beam enthusiasm at a white skill position player, do it with Adam Thielen, not Christian McCaffrey. Hey, you said it. (laughs) Are you ready for the second half Marvin Jones swoon? Like, this is a setup, right? This is predestined. It is. Brutal schedule. Uh, the over-under is the 19 catches he had in the second half last season. Oh. And I think he got off. He started the second half off with, I think, a good old one catch against the Bears. <laughs> you know, they've had – I know they've had – Vic Fangio, they've had some success against wide receiver ones this year. But I am more than ready for Marvin Jones Jr. to swoon the entire second half of the season. 2016, weeks 1 through 8, 15.7 points. Weeks 9 through 16, 5.8 points. With Galladay, Marvin Jones scores 7.5 fantasy points per game. Without Galladay, 17.5 fantasy points per game. So now in the second half with Galladay, Marvin Jones is on the wrong side of two splits. He may not score five fantasy points a game the rest of the way. I'm here for it. Speaking of Kenny Galladay, rookie receivers are surging right now. It's gone unreported, Pat. It has. Especially on Roto World. I haven't seen this reported, but rookie receivers are currently surging. Who is the favorite to have the most productive second half among these rookie receivers? Is it Juju Smith-Schuster? Is it Kenny Galladay? Is it Corey Davis, Cooper Cup? Who is it? I'm going to go with the, the two obvious answer and Juju Smith-Schuster. I mean, even without the 90-yard touchdown two weeks ago, he'd have 
back-to-back 90-yard games that the Steelers have been like dying to establish. Yeah, everyone thinks of the Steelers as like the, a team that has all these weapons because they do have arguably the two best weapons in the NFL and Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown. Arguably? Did you really need to couch that with an arguably? You can't just say that directly? You couldn't just state that flatly? I mean, there's you know, Julio Jones exists. I don't know. Um, you can state that flatly. Anyways, they have those the top two weapons in the NFL, but they'd really been dying for a legitimate third weapon. Ben, they're usually like a three-weapon offense, and they hadn't had it, and they've been really trying to establish someone. And it looks like Juju Smith-Schuster is going to be the guy, and I think they're going to... I think they're going to work with that, roll with it, uh, cultivate it, grow it, and Juju Smith-Schuster will be a top 20 fantasy wide receiver down the stretch. Well, you're wrong, (laughs) and here's why you're wrong. Because Corey Davis exists? Like most human beings, you are susceptible to something called vividness bias, and it manifests in fantasy football in an overvaluation of the big splash plays. I said even without the big splash play, you'd have back-to-back 90-yard games. That is an argument technique. It is. Which is to acknowledge a counterpoint and then pivot. So I know you did that, but I am not allowing you to simply acknowledge the counterpoint and pivot without me reaffirming the existence of this vividness bias, which is what is propelling your affinity for Juju Smith-Schuster. When Corey Davis is healthy, Corey Davis commands... 10 targets on a per game basis when he's healthy Corey davis is commanding a much higher target share than juju smith schuster who will always be the number three option in that passing game because the target totem pole goes antonio brown then Le'Veon bell then juju smith schuster whereas Corey davis is poised to ascend to the top of that wide receiver depth chart starting this week And then he faces the Colts and the Cardinals, the 49ers, and the Rams. And he dodges the Jaguars in Week 17. So you don't need to worry about Corey Davis facing the Jaguars again this season in fantasy football leagues, which typically have their championship game in Week 16. The answer is Corey Davis. Take the L. Juju, he's the number three option, but it's a narrow offense. Uh, Corey might, by the letter of the law, emerge as the number one target, but... I think Rashard Matthews and Delaney Walker are still going to be like six to eight targets per game. You can't give me Rashard Matthews and Delaney Walker. DeMarco Murray is going to get five to six targets a game. It's just Corey Davis. And I don't, you know, his hamstring. Juju Smith-Schuster is the only one who's like. You already said that paneling was falling off. (laughs) That's a good point. The DeMarco Murray mobile home. You can't. It's not yet. You've lost. He's the only one who's established a role, like a you can clear concede. role. It's fine. Or you can concede. He's not established even the clear role yet. He has Listen, if the question was who has the best touchdown celebrations, unequivocally it would be Juju Smith-Schuster, and you would be right. But that's not the question. Another question is, will Devontae Parker be this season's Kelvin Benjamin in garbage time? Because I think that we could be in for something truly special with Devontae Parker in garbage time this season. And it's going to start this week against the Buccaneers! I completely agree. He, he's already, I think, I'd say he already, he's already there. I don't think there's any more he needs to become to become this year's Kelvin Benjamin. I'd say he's already there. He's he's out there like running like the routes of his life in garbage time. He's out there like running and cutting so hard. Like he's like, he's about that life. Yes, yes. That's he turns it up in the fourth quarter when the game is out of reach. That's when he's at maximum effort level. (laughs) Here's a question. Is John Elway the most overrated GM in the NFL? He is, and I fell for it. Yes! Uh, 
Because three, three or four years, he he did, I mean, it had to be luck. Like three or four years, he didn't make a single, like every single decision he made worked. In free agency, sure, absolutely. He signed all the big names. It was what you would do if you were a former superstar becoming an NFL general manager for the first time. What would you do? You'd go out and sign the guys with their names and lights, the Peyton Mannings, Akib Tlaib, just sign the guys with the brand names and lights and now those guys have aged out of the system, and now you're left with the guys you drafted, and you've drafted exactly nobody! He's drafted no... Well, it's weird, because at the beginning, he seriously got... It's not an exaggeration, so he got every decision right. Like, Peyton Manning's, like, one thing, you know, that's like, you don't even really deserve credit for that, necessarily, even though he was coming off the neck injury. Like, you know, most teams fail when they go into free agency. He, did, he had a lot of success with those big money deals that usually fail. Oh, the Emmanuel Sanders deal was amazing because Emmanuel Sanders was not a star in Pittsburgh. He was a number three receiver. Getting Emmanuel Sanders was absolutely a masterstroke. John Elway has made some quality moves in free agency. I wouldn't dispute that. But your number one job as an NFL general manager is to constantly restock your roster with talent in the draft. You need to win the draft. And if you don't win the draft and you continue to lose the draft every year, you end up with the roster that Denver has. And they're going to be bad for a very, very, very long time. Say, I was one my final thought on John Elway was 2012, he had a good draft. They drafted like Derek Wolf, Malik Jackson late, Danny Trevathan late. He had just got there. He wasn't responsible for that draft. He like just stepped off the plane and said, go ahead, draft the guys you guys have been scouting. He wasn't involved in the process. As soon as he injected himself into the process, their drafts were nothing but failures. I was just going to say, the first two or three years, including the draft, in my opinion, he basically didn't make a false move. The past two or three years, they've been basically all false moves. So, yeah, he's the most overrated GM in the NFL. And I fell for it, and I apologize. It's like he's removed a mask, like a latex mask. It would be a horse mask, would it not? A horse latex mask? A Bronco mask, yeah. But he also looks like a horse, right? Isn't he famously the player that looks the most like his mascot? I couldn't speak to that. I'm not an expert on uh, players who look like horses. Um, <laughs> that's much more of a Matt Kelly uh, area of expertise. <laughs> I thought I read that on Deadspin, where there was rankings of players who looked like their mascot, and he was number one. I thought I read that somewhere. I didn't make that up. I can kind of see it in my mind's eye. Who could make that up? I can see it in the mind's eye. <laughs> who the fuck is Austin Eckler? Austin Eckler? Uh, he's a he's a guy. It wasn't it's not as good as my Chester Rogers line, where I said he was an historian for the Bank of England. That was in the outtakes. It's going to be, It's hopefully it will still be in the outtakes. No, the, no one's heard that yet, Pat. That's going to be in the outtakes. <laughs> you can't recall something no one's heard. I thought it was good enough that it needed to be in the real thing, okay, Matt? If it's, but it's out of context. The only reason I even came on the show. Remember what that thing I said about Chester Rogers? No, we don't remember it. We haven't heard it yet. Anyways, Austin Eckler, uh, better than Melvin Gordon, question mark? Is that who he is? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I'm asking the question. That's all I'm doing. I'm just asking the questions. He looks like a very good player, but he's less than 200 pounds. We understand your disdain for the smaller running backs. You better not look like me if you're going to be an NFL running back. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> 
He's good, though. 95th percentile burst score on playerprofiler.com and an 1102 82nd percentile agility score. So this guy is an athlete. He just happened to play at Western State in anonymity. Apparently, scouts did not visit because I think if they had, they would have seen a truly special football player. And congratulations to the San Diego Chargers acquiring a high-quality back in free agency something that John Elway is incapable of doing. What about Chester Rogers? Who the fuck is this? He's an historian for the Bank of England. <laughs> there it is! <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> Just leave it at that. Is this a misprint or is this a glitch or did he have 100 yards last week? He did because I'm trying to remember who left him completely uncovered, but someone left him completely uncovered on a 60-yard touchdown. Mm. So... Strange things happens in life. I can't remember which. It was maybe like Artie Burns. Someone like I thought like fairly good, like didn't cover him. Not that Artie Burns is like a, but he like put a double move. I think it was a Jacoby Brissett. Artie Burns was looking good. A top 20 back on the playerprofiler.com cornerback rankings. Playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. Check them out. We had Artie Burns in the top 20 last week. This week, he's no longer in the top 20. Because he's allowing Chester Rogers to roast him. He bit on a Jacoby Brissett pump fake, if I'm remembering it correctly. Chester Rogers has a 91.7% catch rate. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) Future star. He's making plays. He does look like a prototypical NFL slot receiver. He has that 1092 81st percentile agility score. So you could see him operating in a slot role with Andrew Luck. It would be really interesting to see T.Y. Hilton and Dante Moncrief with Chester Rogers in the slot. But with Jacoby Brissett there, you never know who's going to be the target leader. And only the target leader week in, week out is fantasy relevant. So I'm not chasing Chester Rogers. It's just such an innocuous name. I just could never get behind a player named Chester Rogers. He really, he really does sound like an English academic. Yeah, and like you said, you can't be having that. What about the injured reserve designated to return players? Of those players, who will make the biggest impact in the second half? I guess I'll go Greg Olson, just because it's the clearest role. Seems to have the cleanest, have had the cleanest injury recovery, if we're talking. I don't even know why I asked that, because that's the most obvious answer. Why did I even ask this? Of course it's Greg Olson. I forgot about Greg Olson. I now feel guilty for forgetting that Greg Olson was designated to return. I'm sorry, Greg, the Olsen family. I apologize. I completely forgot about you in fantasy football this season. Okay, sleeper time. Give us a sleeper streamer at quarterback this week. And we have Jacoby Brissett and Josh McCown, my favorite streamers, both on by. Give me somebody. I'm going to go with the nuclear option, and I'm going to go with Blaine Gabbert. Uh... Jonathan Joseph is going to fall down and allow like an 80-yard touchdown to J.J. Nelson or Jerron Brown and uh, Blaine Gabbert. You know, Bruce Arians, you know, he doesn't change his game plan for anybody. He could have Danny Woodhead at quarterback, and so we're going to be throwing down the field. So Gabbert will get to take some shots. The Texans will allow a busted player to, and Blaine Gabbert will be a top 18 option for whatever week this is, week 11. I love that. Doesn't feel right, I'll tell you that. Uh, I think it's the first time I've ever spoken about Blaine Gabbard in something resembling a positive manner, but yeah. 
Give us a sleeper streamer running back, and you can't say Rex Burkhead because he's mine every week until further notice. I was going to say Rex Burkhead until I... And Where are you? Okay, give us your argument for Rex Burkhead. I was going to pivot then to my joke. Oh, no, pivot to a joke then. Say, uh, does Melvin Gordon count as a streamer? Uh, <laughs> too soon? <laughs> he's a committee back, but he's got a good matchup. Uh, he's had big games in the past. I feel really good about streaming Melvin Gordon this week. <laughs> Ignore the yards per carry because the matchup's so juicy. <laughs> Yes, exactly, 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 exactly. Melvin Gordon's an elite streamer this week. I'm crying, I'm crying. Happy and sad tears simultaneously. (laughs) They own Melvin Gordon everywhere. Give us a sleeper streamer wide receiver. Mine is Muhammad Sanu as it is every week until further notice. I'm going to pivot back to uh, something we were talking about earlier. I'm going to say Corey Davis. Hey, they're forcing him the ball. Somebody's coming around on Corey Davis. Looks like you were convinced by my incredible argument skills. My debate skills have won over Patrick Doherty. No Joe Hayden for the Steelers. And yeah, they're just they seem really intent on making him a thing. So I also Jamison Crowder in the mix. Saints. I still am skeptical Please. about the Saints' pass defense, to be frank. They haven't defensed to the slot that you well. You should be skeptical. This is what will happen with the Saints, and Jameson Crowder is, is an excellent option this week, and here's why. Josh Doxson is logging a 95% snap share lately, the last three or four weeks, and he runs routes on the outside, and he's also showed off the splash plays on tape, on tape. So... You can see Marshawn Lattimore preparing all week to shadow Josh Doxson. Just logical. Yeah. So if Marshawn Lattimore is focused on Josh Doxson, then Josh Doxson becomes a decoy this week. And that will allow Jamison Crowder to run underneath against the number two and number three options in that secondary for the Saints. And that's a big drop off from Marshawn Lattimore down to a Ken Crawley. Ken Crawley is one of the leaders in the NFL in target rate on playerprofiler.com. So you can see Jamison Crowder, especially if Washington's down in the second half, commanding 10, 12, 14 targets this week. That was a good little tag team, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. Right? Yeah, like you came to the ropes and we slapped. We slapped something. I don't know what they <laughs> slap. They, I know there's a slap sound. And then, you know, and then there's a pin of some kind. And of course we win. Give us a sleeper streamer tight end this week. Mine is Garrett Selleck every week until further notice. Garrett Selleck even on by is my choice this week. Uh- <laughs> oh, no. Is that right? Oh, God. I'm terrible at this. Oh, I am the worst. No, but to be honest, it's a horrible, horrible, horrible week for streamer tight ends. So Garrett Selleck. I'm streaming a guy on by. That would be a first. Still makes the most sense. I honestly don't. I have nothing resembling a good answer here. I mean, Julius Thomas, I don't know. Ben Ben Watson seems to draw eight targets every game for some reason. Uh, Just say Ben Watson. Next question. Will any Bears receiver be fantasy relevant this year? I liked Tanner Gentry. I liked Trey McBride. And they were both systematically demoted and then banished on the roster. So now I'm waiting for the next shoe to drop. Will it be Dontrell Inman? Is there someone else I need to be paying attention to? I was going to say this. I, 
kind of as a joke answer, but I actually think it's serious now. It's, it's probably someone who's not on the team yet uh, will be like their most valuable receiver down the stretch. They're just like rifling through these guys. Uh, I mean, Dontrell, I mean, they, they did trade for him and then they did kind of immediately feature him. He logged a 100% snap share. Yeah, you can definitely make a case. He was in on every play, literally every play. So you can make a case for Dontrell Inman. I'm going to go with receiver, though, not currently on the roster. You're going to go receiver X. You're going to go placeholder receiver. Faceless man. Nameless, faceless Bears receiver. Yes. (laughs) Last question. You made it, buddy. Congratulations. It's been a journey. I'm, as usual, when I experience these podcasts, I'm a changed man. Um it's an accomplishment, right? It's a battle. It's like the American gladiators were on the platforms with those pugil sticks, right? Yeah, it's. I feel I'm physically worn out. You should uh, be. The voice has been fine because I've been sipping on some water, but physically. No, you sound great. Physically, I'm a wreck. Tell us one more thing. Who do you still qualify for truth or status on? Give us a guy. A deep, deep sleeper. Very disappointingly few, uh, to be honest. I feel like I'm really low on truthers right now. Maybe I'm getting less bold out of like Twitter fear or something. I don't know. I'm definitely a sleeper for not DeMarco Murray. That is something I just keep evangelizing every week. Well, I have a guy, if you're a not DeMarco Murray person. Lay it on me. His name's David Flulin. I've seen that. Isn't he like a fullback? (laughs) No, he's the number three running back on the Tennessee Titans. I knew he was on the Titans. I thought he was a fullback. Uh, Don't know anything about him. All right, so we'll do a shared truther here. David Flulin, 5'11", 224. He was dominant at Toledo, has an upper percentile college dominator, 27.5%. Also very efficient, 6.3 yards per carry. Here's what I like about him. A big back who commanded targets in the passing game at the college level, 10% college target share, 71st percentile. And both his burst and his agility are above the 65th percentile. He looks like Black Rex Burkhead. He looks like Black Rex Burkhead. (laughs) Sounds good on paper. Sign me up. That was the show. If I want a serious, can I put a serious? I was just going to say Mac Hollins. I like Mac. I like the size, speed, prospect, and a good offense. uh, Already being worked in more than expected. This is a Mac Hollins truthing account. I compared Matt Collins and Kenny Galladay early in the season, and Evan Silva, your colleague at Roto World, criticized me for that. He was very dismissive of Matt Collins. He wanted to hear the Kenny Galladay tout all day, wanted to hear nothing about Matt Collins. He thinks Mac's too old, was not productive enough at UNC. And I said, listen, in this offense, with this skill set, let this guy use his size-adjusted athleticism in conjunction with Carson Wentz, and let's see what happens. Next thing you know, oh, 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 Evan, oh, oh, long touchdown. Oh, oh that's what I thought. <laughs> I feel like he's already had a long touchdown. Maybe it wasn't that long. No, he did. Yes, he looked great. 
He looks like a bigger, better version of Torrey Smith. And if your option is old Torrey Smith or bigger, better Torrey Smith, just play bigger, better Torrey Smith than washed Torrey Smith. I mean, I don't understand why this is a hard concept for NFL teams to make. They just keep defaulting to giving snaps to the veterans that don't help them win games. You only have 16 games. You need to try to win every single one of them. This isn't the NBA. You can't just take games off and give pity reps to vets. That's not... You can't afford to do that at the NFL level! I couldn't speak to that. I'm not an expert on uh, players who look like horses. If you say ridiculous things, I'm going to point out that you just said a ridiculous thing. Drew Brees this year is like Alex Smith before acid, basically, you know, which is sad. <laughs> He's going to try to become the first player down the stretch to catch negative passes in a game. He's going to try to break the game of football. If you say ridiculous things, I'm going to point out that you just said a ridiculous thing. I would have gotten booed off the podcast. It's one of my 2017 hits. Yes. Sean Payton, coming into this year, had basically become Jeff Fisher with points. You're a film guy, so you're starting off the show with a lie. I want to cross my T's and dot my I's for this pod. 19% drop rate. 19%! I thought that was an error! And so, like, okay, so I do this Facebook Live every Friday, and I would turn the mic off. I have, like, bad sinuses. I have, like, all fall, and I would turn the mic off to go, like, <laughs> Oh! Oh! oh. <laughs> yes. To make, like, these, like, gross noises. And then one day, my boss was like, you gotta stop uh, making that noise, like, in the Facebook Live thing. And I was like, what are you talking about? I turned my mic off. And then I found out that my computer was using my internal mic for the Facebook Live and not picking up this mic. All this time, though, I thought I was using this, like, great mic. Instead, it was just, just sounded super shitty, and me thinking I'm off mic going... <laughs> the problem is that Tom Savage is like the concept of human sorrow starting at quarterback. You know, I've been accused on Twitter today of self-congratulation. My first thought was, are you new here? Like... What do you think this account is for? Of course, it's for self-congratulation. In fact, I always encourage fantasy footballers in particular to do more of this. Why not? But I have to say that you shouldn't get self-congratulation confused with told you so. I'm much more of a told you so account than I am a self-congratulation account. So let's just go through my account real quick. I love the question of Keenan Allen versus Adam Thielen in Dynasty. I can't believe that's a real question, but it is, and that's amazing. And then I tweeted about Kelvin Benjamin being an anchor around Cam Newton a few times, which is a roundabout told you so because I've been expressing my disdain of Kelvin Benjamin for many years. So I'm just piling on. So it's a, it's a pseudo told you so. I still so like I still don't get that one like really like why was Kelvin such a drain on Cam? Was he just like he was like fool's gold to Cam basically? Like he was like a shiny like bright object that he couldn't not target or something cuz he was so big. Here's the thing. I understand that we're always working in small samples and there's a lot of cause and effect confusion and basically just correlation traps that we fall into. The same thing with the coach worshiping, right? Oh, this coach 
was great during his time with Adrian Peterson and Emmett Smith and other Hall of Fame running backs like Ladanian Tomlinson, hello, North Turner. The coach correlation trap happens to all of us, and then all of a sudden Kyle Shanahan can't win a game. And you can have a great schedule and everyone can rip. And then the next year you have a difficult schedule like the NFC East has, and then everyone's depressed. And then all of a sudden, instead of just focusing on the schedule, there's a million other factors that sports media gas bags want to focus on. Those tend to be the correlation traps where they talk about coaches and they, oh, did the Giants coach lose the locker room? I understand that. However, I selectively will invoke the evidence, right, that's presented, the splits, for example, that it's still a relatively small sample, like 30 games over here, 30 games over here. Yeah, I'll take those splits and I'll run around my yard with a flag showing the Kelvin Benjamin Cam splits, knowing that it probably wasn't that much of an impact. What's the alternative? Russell Shepard, as if that's better? It's probably a lot of random chance and who the opponents were, what the game flow was. Most of that is explained away in all of the difficult to measure and impossible to split causes. I'm just looking for people to validate. I'm practicing confirmation bias. Player Profiler is a machine that enables confirmation bias. It's there so you can go find that one stat to back up your argument. So I'm a machine of confirmation bias, and I don't hide that fact. I'm fine with it. So it's a very humbling thing about football when you really do like accept the small sample size thing because... I think people can convince themselves that even though it's a small sample size, well, it's like, you know, they spend so much time game planning for every game. So like, and like each game is so important that they like almost trick themselves into thinking it, it is a bigger than one game sample size since each game is so important. It's 60 minutes with a lot of those minutes lost to special teams and irrelevant plays. With half a baseball season, you have a bigger sample size with like any given player than you will for almost any NFL player over an entire career. There are plenty of players who have had full careers and throughout benefited from random chance and have been dramatically overrated ever since. And vice versa, you have players that are banished to nowhere franchises and are succeeding in anonymity for a decade. They may get a chance, right? Once they reach free agency at age 30, they may latch onto a Super Bowl team and get some notoriety. But also the way the contracts are structured and the way the career arc is in the NFL, a lot of players are misunderstood when they retire. The number of players that get buried by like circumstance and chance in the NFL is probably would probably like you know, absolutely terrify us if we actually knew how many people it was. Like, people that probably could have been, like, literally Hall of Famers if they had just been, like, on a different team or something. Well, right. Austin Ekelar needed an injury to Brandon Oliver to show off what he can do, even though at Western State he was a star. It doesn't matter. He wasn't acknowledged in the draft, and therefore it's like it didn't happen. It's like his Western State career never existed. And he has to start from the beginning. It's like if you were a successful sales rep, but your account on LinkedIn was deleted by accident and you had to start cold calling, right? At just a plastics company for the first time, your first day on the job. And you're like, how the hell did I get here? 
you see that cycle repeat itself so it doesn't even matter then if they do do something like sometimes they'll have like a good four or five game stretch and then they get hurt or they have one bad game and they go back to me like well this guy's just an undrafted free agent they're so easily dismissed but you just have a handful of very basic relationships with some plastic companies at this point and he's like no no but you don't understand yeah, and they only have these 16 games, man. And if guys don't get hurt ahead of him on the depth chart and you have an old-school coach, woof, right? Think about Cameron Meredith if Kevin White doesn't get hurt. Cameron Meredith was a quarterback in college at Illinois State, so he made the play, right? He basically joined the most expensive contest on DraftKings, which is, I want to be a professional quarterback. So the lowest probability, most challenging, right? The highest buy-in. And then he flames out, and then he has to rebuild his career at Illinois State as a wide receiver. Halfway through his college career, and he just cannot make up the time in that four years to build a resume that's going to get noticed. So then, of course, undrafted free agent, and then you're starting at the back of the line. And remember, you're literally at the back of the line in training camp. You don't get reps with the starters. You don't even get noticed. You don't even get filmed by the team when they're filming training camp. You have to do something special on special teams or something that a coach is going to notice and say, well, let's see him in this particular personnel package just for kicks. You have to hope that that happens at some point in training camp. And then somehow you get put on a practice squad. Who the fuck is Chester Rogers, right? Good for him, right? Good for him. Thank you. I mean, his name's Chester Rogers, which, you know, he just sounds like a gubernatorial candidate from 1847. I say he sounds like the historian for the Bank of England. Thank you. Even better. So what I'm saying is, let's say we throw darts on guys late in the draft. Like, my thing is, I'm all about the told you so in the celebration because the alternative is that I wallow in the criticism. If I am predisposed to find the compliments and the places where my picks have hit or the players I touted have outperformed expectations, if I'm predisposed, then that gives me a prism through which I can experience social media in a happy way and not get depressed. Because otherwise, your morale will be buried by the negative sentiment of those that want to check you. They want to check your ego. They want to make sure you know how wrong you are. They want to challenge you because it's sports and everyone thinks that they're smarter than the analysts. So you're in this world that can be really toxic. The only choice is to put this body armor on and to go in basically with like special goggles where I only see the positive sentiments. And then I celebrate those, I lift those people up and then those people get rewarded for being positive and the people that are negative get ignored and they eventually fall by the wayside and that's how you can cultivate your brand on social media as a place that people go for positivity so that's what i'm doing and so if i get perceived as using twitter strictly for promotion well duh that's really why it exists but it's that and also self-preservation. Otherwise, people quit the platform. That was a great answer, and maybe uh, I feel like I should take something away from that. I feel like this year I've been spending more time than usual in like hand-to-hand combat with like my hashtag critics. It's definitely tiresome and a complete waste of time. 
It's no good. You have a huge audience. You should not be wasting time on one-on-one -on -one exchanges. You should focus your energy on disseminating information to a wide audience that they can use. And at the end of the day, that's still my main mission, is disseminating interesting, useful information to a wide audience. So I will take shots. Like, for example, here's a great example of how I would retweet a compliment. First of all, I don't just retweet compliments raw. To me, that's cheesy. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to cloak it in some additional context that I can provide. So this guy tweets me, I have a shout out to Fantasy Mansion for hyping Funchess in the offseason. Peaked my interest, misspelled peaked. <laughs> did, he, did he go P-E-A-K-E-D? <laughs> yes, he's a mountain climber, yes. Peaked my interest, and now I'm profiting. So instead of just retweeting, which I would not have done, that's lame, I instead quote tweeted, and I used it as an opportunity to throw a grenade. Just zoom out and ignore the film zombies, is what I added my additional commentary to that tweet. So I'm adding value while also acknowledging and promoting a compliment. And also, you know, and cloak and, you know, cloaking the pat on the back, which you say you deserve a pat on the back. And a lot of people liked it and responded to that because it, it just inspires a conversation among people that are positively inclined. I'm just trying to do that. I'm just trying to do that. But I also recognize that if this is going to be my modus operandi, that I have to add some value. So, of course, I have a quota of just straight informational tweets. Like, for example, I know the Twitter audience loves splits, right? You know that that's something that they will always engage with. So I have the Marvin Jones with Galladay, 7.5 points per game. Marvin Jones without Galladay, 17.5 points per game. I'm always going to give you some of those because I have to feed the animals in order for the zoo to survive. Yeah, that's mildly useful, too. It's not just like a home and away where like it could be completely random. No, I mean, at least this is like when this guy's in here competing for targets, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I also have cultivated this idea that I am going to be belligerent to the audience. I have basically a contempt for the audience and those that have survived that and they've taken the beating and they've come out on the other side, they're hardened veterans now. You know, they're actually more zealous than when they started. I'm, I'm not on enough podcasts where the people of Green Bay are taken to task. Nine out of ten tweets. Can you just imagine that I'm winking while I'm clicking send? Can you just do that? Just imagine that. Just imagine me, visualize me winking as I'm clicking send, and it all, it'll be great. No, I do. I honestly do. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely hashtag get it. They only sign one free agent every five years, so don't uh, patent your glass door. By the way, when is our tweet up in Green Bay? Seattle, you are derelict in your duty to surround Russell Wilson with the protection that he needs. This is shameful embarrassment. You are squandering the career of Russell Wilson, and you should be ashamed of yourselves. <laughs> I like it. Oh, everyone has to say they like Christian McCaffrey. Everyone must like Christian McCaffrey. You're not allowed to not like Christian McCaffrey. The dislike of Christian McCaffrey 
will not be tolerated across NFL media circles. Absolutely not. You have to like Christian McCaffrey. He looks like me. He lo- He's tiny. He doesn't look big enough. Okay, you sound ridiculous. We're going to the next contrived dichotomy. Hey, I'm just saying he looks too small is what I'm saying, Matt. No one in the history of the show has said something more absurd. Eli Manning was born in the darkness. If you need to transfix your gaze, beam enthusiasm at a white skill position player, do it with Adam Thielen, not Christian McCaffrey. I mean, there's you know, Julio Jones exists. I don't know. He's out there, like running and cutting so hard. Like he's like, he's about that life. Yes, yes. That's he turns it up in the fourth quarter when the game is out of reach. That's when he's at maximum effort level. But he also looks like a horse, right? Isn't he famously the player that looks the most like his mascot? <laughs> Who the fuck is Austin Eckler? Austin Eckler? Uh, he's a he's a guy. Remember what that thing I said about Chester Rogers? No, we don't remember it. We haven't heard it yet. You better not look like me if you're going to be an NFL running back. That's all I'm going to say. What about Chester Rogers? Who the fuck is this? He's an historian for the Bank of England. Does Melvin Gordon count as a streamer? Uh, <laughs> too soon. <laughs> I'm crying. I'm crying. Happy and sad tears simultaneously. I'm streaming a guy on by. That would be a first. Still makes the most sense. Yeah, it's. I feel I'm physically worn out. You should be. Black Rex Burkhead.